As we start this morning, I want you to imagine that you and I are in a counseling situation together. You've come to me and you said, hey, there's some different issues going on in my life. I'd love to talk with you about them, Dan. Maybe you can give me some wisdom that might help me. And, and suppose we start talking about your relational life. And I said, why don't you tell me three words that describe your sex life? Just give me three words. It could be any words under the sun. You tell me which three words are going to describe your sex life as it is right now. You can play along whether you're married or you're single. You could come up with those three words in your mind right now. You might say, well, my sex life as it currently stands is non-existent, Dan. It's just not there. You might say it's really active. It's kind of like rambunctious if we want to get real honest about it. You might say my sex life is virtual. I wish there was another person, but I don't know. Not right now, at least. You might say it's spontaneous. You might say it's frustrating. You might say it's wonderful and everything you hoped it could be. There are literally millions of different combinations of words that you could use to describe your intimate life as it exists right now. And my guess is for most of us, if we were to come up with three words, those three words would run the gamut, even within our own life, of both positive words, maybe neutral words, and perhaps even negative words in your situation. So here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to share with... No, I'm just kidding. I would never ask you guys to do that. I could see beads of sweat forming on your head in that instant. I knew for sure that you guys were freaked out. I'm never coming back to this church again. You can relax. I would not ask you to do that, okay? What if I told you that the three words that God wants to describe your sex life are these three, frequent, free, and fulfilling. What if you took the three words that actually describe your sex life, and I hope you actually were thinking through some because it's gonna come up again in a moment, and you were to put those up against what I believe God wants to be true of your sex life, whether you're married or you hope to be someday that God actually desires for your sex life, your intimate life with your partner to be frequent, to be free, and to be fulfilling. That's true. And I'm going to prove it to you. And I'm going to give you a path to get from the three words that you have now to the three words that God hopes and we hope actually will describe your sex life in your marriage. And to get there, we're going to look at two passages of scripture this morning. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. And we're going to look at Philippians chapter number two. So we'll walk through each of those together in just a moment. Before we start reading 1 Corinthians 7, let me just give you a little bit of context about where we are this morning. We're in the third week of our series that we're simply calling Sex. Because when that's the title, you don't need to make anything fancy. You don't have to have fancy graphics. You just say sex and you've got people's attention. And so we're in the third week of this sex series. And what we're talking about is the fact that God himself has established blessings on sex, and he's established boundaries on sex. And those two are tied together very, very closely. That following after God's will, desire his best for your sexual life will mean embracing the blessings of sex as God presents them, as well as the boundaries of sex as God relates them. God wants to take you from whatever three words describe your sexual life now to a place where they are frequent, it is free, and it is fulfilling. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter number 7 is where we're going to start this morning. If we start reading in verse number 2, the Bible says this, 
each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. Now, you realize the word have there is a euphemism for be intimate. If you're not totally sure, keep reading. He says the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's sexual needs. You see, the wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Then in verse 5, the Bible says, Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan will not be able to tempt you because of your lack of control. Whoa, you didn't know the Bible said stuff like that, did you? You should read this book. I'm telling you, there's all sorts of really interesting stuff in there like this. Okay, according to this passage, we're gonna break it down. We're actually gonna start in verse number five and we'll work our way back up, okay? According to this passage, the path that God has set, the characteristics that should describe your relationship with your wife or your husband are that sex should first of all be frequent. Did you see that there in verse number five? He says, do not deprive each other of sexual relations. And if you do take a break for a season, don't let that break or that season extend forever. Like every season, it should come to an end. Thank God winter is almost over in Calgary. It was light when we showed up this morning. I was so excited, you guys, because we know that things that exist for a season should only exist for a season. That then the season turns, a new time comes, and new opportunities present themselves as well. You see, God desires that in a married relationship, sex is frequent. His plan is not for you to live in a sex-starved marriage. Did you know that? That is not God's will. That's not his plan. The most frequent question, the most common question that we got over the last week that we're going to be answering uh, next Sunday is this, what if my spouse doesn't want it as much as me? What am I supposed to do? That's the most frequent question. We had that multiple times or some variation of it multiple times. And next week, we're going to talk about how you can have healthy, increased intimacy in your life. And it's not a simple answer. It's not an easy answer, but I believe it will help you get to where both of you guys will be mutually satisfied. Now, we're going to talk next week about what's normal, because you don't really know what's normal, do you? You live in a sex-crazed culture that tells you everybody has sex every day as much as they possibly can. It turns out research tells us that that's not exactly true. And some of you guys who think, man, uh, my spouse never wants to be intimate, when you actually see the data, you're going to be like, oh, well, we're totally normal. Some of you will also see some of the information we'll present and you'll say, oh, wow, we've got a ways to go. We've got some work to do. And I'm hoping it'll stimulate some conversation for you, all right? So we're gonna talk about that next week. But I want you to understand, according to 1 Corinthians 7, 5, that God desires that you and your spouse are intimate frequently. And the reason why is laid out here in the scripture. God gave us sex for three reasons. There are three things that sex is supposed to accomplish in your marriage. The first one is obvious, it's procreation. 
right? You're supposed to make babies. We said when we read Genesis 1 two weeks ago, the first command God gave to man and wife was go do it, make some babies, have a great time, fill and manage the earth, right? So that's one reason that God gives us sex. It is not the only reason. Some of you were raised in Christian traditions and you were told this is the only legitimate use or reason for sex. That's simply not true when you actually read the Bible. When you read the scripture, you also find out that the second reason God blessed us with sex is for the purpose of pleasure. It's supposed to feel good. You're supposed to enjoy it. When last week we read uh, Song of Songs and we went through how graphic and wonderful it was for these two young lovers to be intimate with each other, they were actually enjoying one of the purposes of sex, that is pleasure. But you also find here in 1 Corinthians chapter number seven, verse five, that the last reason God gives us sex is for the purpose of protection, protection. And this is very, very important. You see, frequent intimacy with your spouse protects your marriage from temptation. We are surrounded by temptation every single day. It doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter whether you're young or you're old. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or you're a seeker or somebody drug you here against your will. All of us are tempted by the images and opportunities that exist every single day in the city of Calgary. Now, here's the deal. According to the scripture, if you and your spouse are frequently intimate, there is less of an opportunity for the enemy to tempt you and pull you away from the covenant that you've made together. There is less of a likelihood that you or your spouse will look anywhere else to have their sexual needs met. That's important, okay? Now, I'm not condoning anybody who would look elsewhere. Please understand that. If your husband ever had an affair, your wife or something like that, I'm not blaming you. I'm not saying, well, if you would have just given them what they wanted, then it would have been okay. I'm not saying that at all. But we have to acknowledge that when we express intimacy with the person we love, they are less likely to go find intimacy somewhere else. You may not have ever considered this. I learned this about two years into my marriage. It struck me and it rocked me. I have never forgotten this and it informs how I treat my wife nearly every single week. You may not have considered the fact that you are your spouse's only legitimate source of romance and sexual activity. That's a heavy responsibility. I want you to let that settle on your shoulders for a moment. You are the only legitimate source for romance and sexual intimacy for your spouse. That means That if you decide, look, I'm just not interested in sex. I don't want anything to do with it. And this happens to men and women. Please don't fall into any gender stereotypes here. But if you decide, look, it's just not that important. We can do it infrequently. We can do it, you know, just a few times a year. And that should be plenty. You have to understand your spouse will have two choices. They will either decide to do without or to look elsewhere. Those are the only two options that they have. And I want to again say, I'm not justifying anybody who would choose to look elsewhere. That's wrong. It's sin. It's hurtful. It should never, ever happen. However, I don't want to have a marriage where the only two options I leave my wife are for her to be frustrated or for her to look elsewhere. I don't ever want her to have to face that dilemma. 
nor do I believe that God wants you or your spouse to ever have to face that dilemma. Frequent intimacy between you and your spouse, it serves to protect your marriage from the temptations that come every single day. So God says your sex should be frequent. It should also be free. And of course, by that, I mean like you shouldn't charge each other for it. Like there should be no money exchanged in this. Um, Seriously though, I guess I should say it. You shouldn't pay somebody off of Kijiji to meet your sexual needs. You shouldn't pay Pornhub.com to meet your needs. If you are in a committed, loving marriage, your spouse should meet your needs and you should meet your spouse's needs. What I really mean though, I'm not just talking about money. What I'm talking about is sex in a Christ-centered, healthy marriage should be given freely. Not only when your husband does the dishes, not only when your wife loses 10 pounds, sex should be given and not used. Sex is not a weapon in your battle for control in your marriage. One of the most unhealthy and common behaviors in a marriage is to pay out sex as a reward for good behavior or to withhold sex as punishment for bad behavior. Do you understand how detrimental and destructive that is to real intimacy? Sex should not be paid for in your marriage. And that includes money, but it also includes behaviors as well. Do you notice what the scripture says here in 1 Corinthians 7? Sex is a gift. It says the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. And the wife gives authority over his body to his wife. You see, the scriptures tell us that sex is not earned, sex is a choice. It is something that you give, and if you hold it hostage for behavior, it will negatively impact your ability to be truly intimate in your marriage. Sure, you'll be able to have sex, you know, periodically or whatever, but it won't be true and lasting intimacy. And the last thing we see here in 1 Corinthians 7 is that sex really should be fulfilling, It should be fulfilling for you. My hope is that one of your three words is fulfilling. And if it's not, God wants to take you from point A to point B. But I want you to understand something. It's not just that sex, according to 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, verse 3, is supposed to be fulfilling. It's supposed to be mutually fulfilling. And there is a difference between those two things, isn't there? You see, in a healthy, Christ-centered marriage, both people are committed to meeting each other's needs. Now, I want you to notice here, this verse does not say, women, meet your husband's needs. There have been people that have ripped that verse out over the years. They do it today and they're like, you see, the Bible is misogynistic and it promotes the patriarchy. And it says women just exist to meet their husband's sexual needs. And they ignore the fact that the very next sentence says, Husbands are also to meet their wives' sexual needs. You see, the way God has set up sex in a marriage, it should be mutually fulfilling for both of you. And if it's not mutually fulfilling, then you are not experiencing God's best. You are missing out on some of what God has intended for you. Now, I want to challenge you in your marriage when it comes to like physical intimacy, but in every area, emotional intimacy, spiritual intimacy, all of that stuff. I want to challenge you to focus 
on the other and not yourself. I want you to focus on what you can give rather than what you can get. And we'll talk about how to do that in just a moment. But I want you to think about how this verse, 1 Corinthians 7, 3, it challenges every couple and every culture that's ever existed. It challenges our modern culture because it basically tells us along with several other verses in the scripture, it tells us that according to God's boundaries, the only relationship that is capable of producing truly mutually satisfying sex is marriage. Now, some of you hear that and you're like, you can't tell me that. Come on, I've had great sex. I've had very mutually fulfilling sex. You've had good sex, yes. You've had pleasurable sex, yes. But according to scripture, God's design is that only in the context of marriage, a lifelong commitment, will you experience truly fulfilling sex. God has actually set some boundaries that our modern culture really does need to obey. Some of you have been waiting and you've been wondering, what's he gonna say about you know, all the different issues in our world? We're gonna dive into those next week. We're gonna spend one whole question. How does the church respond to the different sexual issues that have reared their head in our culture today? But I will just tell you, that for a Christ follower, God's will is a marriage, a lifelong covenant commitment between a man and a woman. That's what the scripture says. I'm gonna do my best to explain to you why God does it that way. And I'm gonna do my best to help you to at least understand why Christians have believed that. I don't ask you to agree. That's up to you. That's between you and God. But the scripture sets some boundaries and it says, if you're single, you shouldn't be sleeping with your future spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend or the dude you found on Tinder. And it says, if you're married, you shouldn't go outside the bounds of your marriage in order to find your, uh, to, to have your needs met for intimacy. And the Bible says that our world has gone in a bunch of different directions when it comes to sex, some of which are unhealthy and, and can be downright harmful. So we're gonna dig into those. We're gonna talk about them. And then I want you to wrestle through this yourself in the days to come. Now, it challenges our modern culture because it tells us in the middle of all of our hookups and our free porn and all of those different things that the only mutual, mutually fulfilling sex will be found in the context of marriage. But it also challenges ancient culture too. I want you to understand these verses were just as revolutionary in the, the first century when they were written as they are today, just as revolutionary. Do you understand that in Jesus' day, the fact that Jesus and his followers would say that a husband has a duty to meet his wife's sexual needs would have been completely crazy to their culture. It would have been mind-blowing because in their day, women were property. They didn't exist so that men could satisfy them. The women existed so that they could satisfy men. And look, let's just be honest, that idea, that perspective is still alive and well in the 21st century. And Jesus and his followers challenge that. Jesus comes on the scene and he says, listen, women are not objects. They don't exist to fulfill your fantasies. So not only should you not commit adultery, but you shouldn't look lustfully at a woman in your heart. And then Jesus says things like, no, a man cannot divorce his wife for any and every reason. And then one of his closest followers, Peter, comes along and he expounds on Jesus' teaching. And in the book of 1 Peter, he says, husbands should live with their wives 
and give them both honor and intimacy. Paul comes along in 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, and he says, husbands, you need to fulfill your wife's needs. Do you understand how revolutionary that would have been in his culture? In their day, men did not marry for sex. They married for financial reasons. They married to increase social status. They married because it would help them with whatever it is they were trying to accomplish in life. In their day, if a man needed sex, he didn't turn to his wife. There was no shame in their culture for having an affair. There was no shame in their culture for going to prostitutes. In fact, you may remember from your history class, the Greeks and the Romans were kind of gross. It was really, really common for men to use little boys in order to have their sexual needs met. So in their culture, for these people to come along and say, no, 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 no. Women are equal image bearers with men. And their fulfillment is just as important as any man's would have been absolutely revolutionary. Now you say, Dan, come on, that's obvious. Everybody knows that. Yeah, it's obvious today. It wasn't obvious then. The only reason it's obvious today is because Jesus said what Jesus said. And then his followers who were Christian husbands decided to take his words seriously. And instead of just showering whatever that moves with their sexual affection, they reoriented it and they reined it in and they chose to give it to one woman and to one woman only. There are serious scholars that believe that Christianity is responsible for the idea of consensual sex as we know it. Because until Jesus came along and elevated the, the status of women in Roman culture, which was the dominant culture of his time, nobody cared what happened to women. They were used and abused. And then Jesus said, that can't be. It should be not only fulfilling, fellas, but it should be mutually fulfilling. So how do we move from what is probably a bit of a mutually frustrating situation in your life to one that is mutually fulfilling? How do we move from mutual frustration, three words that are all over the map, some positive, some negative, probably some that are just neutral. How do we move to you saying, listen, my marriage, my intimacy with my spouse, it is frequent, it is free, and let me tell you, it's fulfilling. How do we get there? The answer lies in learning to become servant lovers instead of selfish lovers. That's where it lands, and that's what it's going to take. You have to move from being a selfish lover to being a servant lover. Now, nobody wants to be a servant in our world, right? Like nobody is like, sign me up to do the servant jobs. Servant and the service industry in our world, people who work those jobs get paid the least amount of money. And as you get rich and powerful and have influence, you don't start serving people, you start having people serve you. And so in our world, the idea of being a servant is a negative thing. But if you want to experience true, mutually fulfilling intimacy in your life, then you have got to start to be a servant towards your spouse. You have got to serve them rather than focus or come from a self-centered perspective. I mean, let's be honest. We really do believe it is better to receive than to give, don't we? We really do. We want the food, but we don't want to make it and we don't want to clean up after. 
We want somebody that's going to be there when we, you know, need some intimacy, but who cares when they need intimacy? That's how we function. And that is detrimental to having a mutually fulfilling, intimate life with your spouse. God calls you to be a servant lover instead of a selfish lover. Listen, when this opposition to being a servant, when it's brought into a marriage, it causes serious problems. If you look at your spouse, well, let me, I'll make it personal. If I look at my wife and I say, Amber, the whole reason God brought you to me is so that you can meet my sexual needs. And if she looks at me and says, Dan, you know the reason you exist is to meet my needs. We are both trying to pull from one another. And that puts us in both a defensive and an offensive posture. And it creates all sorts of heartache and brokenness in a relationship. When we have this attitude, you exist to meet my needs, we make the other person a means to our end instead of them or the relationship being the end in and of itself. When we talked last week about pornea, which is the, the biblical word that describes all sorts of unhealthy sex, including pornography, but adultery and lust and all of these different things. The reason that pornography is so, or pornea, I'm sorry, is so detrimental is because in every example of pornea, you are a selfish lover. Whoever it is or whatever it is that you're involved in, in your mind, it exists to meet your needs. That's the reason you're doing it because it feels good and you like it. You cannot have a mutually fulfilling marriage if you function as a selfish lover instead of a servant lover. So I want you to stop thinking it's their job to meet my needs. And I really do want you to start thinking every single day, how can I meet her needs? Maybe her needs are not sexual. Maybe she needs some help around the house, bro. Maybe she needs some tenderness. And I want you to start thinking, how can I meet his needs? And you say, but he doesn't help. He doesn't do anything. Sex is a gift. It's not something he earns. It's something you choose to give. Yeah, but isn't that weird? And what if I'm mad at him that day and all that? I get all of that. I really do. But how you choose to proceed in your relationship is gonna dictate where it goes. You wanna do what a servant lover would do within a relationship. Because here's the truth. Selfish lovers create mutual frustration, but servant lovers create mutual fulfillment. For as long as you fight for your rights in a marriage, for as long as you demand from your spouse, then you will end up frustrated. Stop focusing on them, start focusing on you. What can I do? How can I be a servant lover to the person that I've committed myself to? That means if you're a guy, you need to figure out how to serve your wife. And if that means helping around the house, if that means providing for her in some way, you need to do it. And if you're a wife, that means you need to figure out a way to help meet your husband's needs. If they're physical, then physical. If there's something else, then fine. You need to figure out what do they need and how can I give it to them because I am the only legitimate source for romance and physical intimacy in their life. And if I don't do it, either nobody will or somebody else will. Selfish lovers create mutual frustration. Servant lovers create mutual fulfillment. I want you to understand if you're single, I know I've been talking to marrieds a whole lot and you're like, what about me, man? Can I tell you that you can begin now being a servant lover? You can be a servant lover today 
to the person that you're gonna marry tomorrow. In fact, if you don't learn how to be a servant lover today, it's going to be very difficult for you to learn how to be a servant lover tomorrow. You can start to ask, what habits, what qualities and characteristics do I need to develop as a single person that will allow me to have mutually fulfilling intimacy when God finally brings somebody my way? What habits, what things am I involved in right now that are going to destroy my ability to have intimacy with my spouse when they come? You think that this starts on your wedding day. Nope, it starts today. You can be a servant lover to somebody you don't even know yet by choosing to participate in God's boundaries and blessings when it comes to sex so that when you finally do find somebody, you don't come to me and say, all right, it's time for me to deal with this. I know my wife's gonna find out someday, so I guess I better go ahead and acknowledge it and start to address it. No, address it now. You're gonna have your own problems later when you add somebody else to the equation. You can be a servant lover today. Now, let me ask this question, and this is the thing that's rolling around in your mind. We're gonna wrap this up this morning. What if, Dan, I become a servant lover, but my spouse stays a selfish lover? Some of you have been there. That's the situation you're in now. You're like, I went to see a counselor. Counselor told me the same thing you said. I need to quit focusing on them. I need to focus on me. I need to love and serve, and I just need to give and give and give. What happens if I'm always giving and they keep on taking? And I say that I understand the risk in this. I really do. There is the potential that your spouse will take and take and take and take. There is that potential. But can I also just say that any marriage is going to be better if at least one person is acting as a servant lover instead of a selfish lover? Things in the vast majority of cases will get better. There's this interesting verse in the book of Romans, and it talks about how we should relate to our enemies, which I know sounds kind of weird to say about your spouse, but some of you guys basically look at each other like enemies at this point. So I guess it's germane. And it says the way that Christ calls us to treat our enemies is with kindness with love, with generosity. And when we do that, we heap coals of shame on their head. Now, the reason we do that is because most people who have a conscience, most people who do love you, when you start treating them so unbelievably well, not based on what they deserve, but based on what Christ has called you to, when you start doing that, eventually they realize, I'm being a jerk and he's being really nice or she's being very, very kind to me right now. And there is the opportunity for a a logjam to be broken when one of you chooses to be a servant, even if the other person decides that they don't want to, okay? This ultimately comes down to an issue of whether or not you trust God because God said servant lovers will produce mutual fulfillment. Do you trust that? Can you act on it, even if it's difficult? To help you, here's something practical you can do. Pray every single day that God would give you the attitude of Christ, the mind of Christ toward your spouse. Now you're like, what are you even talking about? The mind of Jesus, huh? I'm referring to a very specific passage from the book of Philippians, chapter number two. And it talks about Jesus and who he was and what he did. And if you really come to understand the relational power behind this, then it has the ability to transform your situation. So let me read this. We're gonna pray and be done. Book of Philippians chapter number two, it says this, don't be selfish. 
Don't try to impress others, or we might say, don't try to puff yourself up and fight for your rights and all those different things. Instead, be humble. Think of others as better than or ahead of yourselves. Don't look only to your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. This is where we talk about the attitude or the mind of Christ. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, and he was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, the Bible says, he humbled himself in obedience to God. And he even died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, because he humbled himself, because he emptied himself, because he thought of you and me before he thought of himself. The scripture says God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. Listen, the truth is some of you are in a relationship and your spouse doesn't deserve free love. They don't deserve it. They haven't earned it. They haven't been particularly good to you. They're not helpful. They're every bit as selfish as anybody else in the room. And you're like, come on, seriously, you want me to serve them and love them? Look at how they're treating me. I understand that. Look at how we treated Jesus. Jesus, who gave up his rights for you. Jesus, who gave up his privileges for me. Jesus, who put my needs ahead of his own. Jesus, who didn't think that he should fight for what was rightfully his, but he should give to me what I never deserved. In the end, it cost Jesus very greatly to serve me the way that he did. And yet, because he took on the humble and lowly position of servant for you, for me, because he did that, the scripture says, God elevated him. Here's what I believe. God is so serious about you being a servant lover in your relationship now or in the future. This is so powerful that if you will commit to practicing it every single day to the very best of your ability through the power of Jesus, if you do that, I believe you will see breakthrough. In the vast majority of cases, you will see things change for the better. Not immediately, not easily. It took you years to get into the mess that you're in, and it might take you years to get out. But the way out is to become a servant lover rather than a selfish lover. Please understand, this is more than a tactic to get your wife to put out more. This is more than a way for you to get your husband to help you around the house more. This is your opportunity to partner with God in his subversive plan to upend the power dynamics that exist in our world. The ones that say men are in charge and women are subservient and everybody else on the planet exists to fulfill your needs and your happiness is the utmost. That is the power dynamic that exists in every area of our lives today. And God says, I wanna flip that on its head. And the way it's gonna happen is when you choose to love your spouse 
freely and frequently and in a way that is mutually fulfilling. Put on the mind of Christ. Don't take it off. Even when it's difficult, continue to be a servant lover to the person you share a house with now or the person that you hope to share a house with someday. And I believe God will give you the breakthrough that you're seeking. <laughs> 